It's great to be with you this morning. It's great to be here uh, in the house of the Lord. It's great to see so many familiar faces and also some new faces. We praise the Lord for that. Amen. Amen. So what I thought I would do is give a, kind of a quick update uh, on what's happening in West Africa. If I talked about everything, as Pastor Stewart said, we would be here for days and days. We praise the Lord for that. Um, but I want to give a quick update and then, um, and then uh, kind of jump into a sermonette, if you will. Uh, so we'll try to keep it short. Um, anyways, for those of you who don't know me, my name is Justin Hoy. Um, I am a member of this church. I attended this church from 2009 um, until we left for the mission field in 2019. My family is here, my wife Rachel and our kids. Uh, Bethany's 10, Rebecca's 9, and Uriah is six and a troublemaker. Uh, but anyways, that's beside the point. <laughs> um, so we serve uh, in Senegal, West Africa. And so what I thought I would do as far as an update is I'm going to start at the end and work backwards. So I want to tell you what we do or our roles there in West Africa. And then I want to get into why, we, why that is our role. And that will work into a transition into the sermon. Uh, and all that will hopefully make sense. So just to give you an update on the training center, many of you um, here at Calvary know about the training center because um, you have been, uh, you have blessed that work uh, greatly. Uh, and so um, we're building two buildings. One will be the, the training center. Uh, the other building will ha house uh, Ufi and Olga, our national partners, plus also mission teams who come and uh, work or help at the, uh, the training center. Uh, the foundations have been poured, uh, dug and poured, and the block uh, is going up. These are very primitive uh, buildings, as you can imagine. So just block walls, kind of like a, a school would be constructed. Um, so there's the, the training center in the background and the house uh, foundation kind of in the foreground of that picture. Uh, here is the first level of the training center being uh, constructed. They finished that, and now they are working on the first level of the housing, uh, the house building. Um, and there is a picture from the back looking at the front of the, or the back of the house. And in the way in the background back there is the, is the training um, center. So one of our roles is to oversee that uh, project. I worked in construction for many years, so I kind of have a background in history with construction and how the process should play out. And so it's been a perfect fit for us to be, to be there to kind of oversee that. Okay, so our first role is training center. Second role is equipping nationals. Um, we take uh, a lot of time, a lot of energy in equipping uh, the nationals, and I'll tell you why uh, shortly. So we um, provide them with, with, with Bibles, French Bibles, um, equipping the saints up in Weir's Cave, provided um, the work in Senegal and Guinea-Bissau with 95,000 uh, Bibles, and we praise God for that. Um, we thank we thank God for, um, for, for Brother Keith and his team up there at ETS, and uh, we, could, we wouldn't be where we are without them, and so we're so thankful for that. Not only um, French Bibles, but he also provided study Bibles uh, in both French and in Portuguese, and so we give those to master trainers so they'll have um, a study Bible that they can use as they teach and train to reference and as they prepare sermons, etc., uh, we also provide audio Bibles for those who can't read or write. Um, an audio a, a Bible is perfect for them. And so they can put it in their smartphone um, and, and uh, listen to it or their, or their phone and listen to, to the Word of God that way. We provide all of our 
networks of master trainers um, with a duplicator so that we can just give them empty SD cards and then they can duplicate um, those SD cards in multiple languages with audio material, audio Bibles, plus also stories, etc. It's just another way to, to, uh, to get the gospel out. And the goal for us is to saturate uh, West Africa with the Word of God, uh, but also with, with prayer. And so one way we saturate with the Word is by using uh, Bibles and audio Bibles um, and things of that nature. Another resource that we give out is the Tree of Life manual. Um, uh, as, as we train people, we give them a, a, a manual that they can work through and reference to know what they're being trained. And then they use that to go train uh, others. Um, so the kids uh, helped me one day um, putting together some, some Tree of Life manuals for a, a group of master trainers. We also um, help with uh, chairs for church plants. So this is 100 chairs that we gave to a, a, a new church plant. And um, because they don't have anything to sit on. So many times they'll sit on, um, they'll set rocks or blocks on the ground and they'll sit on um, cinder blocks or whatever they have available to sit on. So we like to provide them with, uh, with chairs. If you look really closely in the right of that picture, you might see some uh, shoe boxes there. Uh, those cardboard boxes are uh, Samaritan's Purse shoe boxes. And so while they were picking up chairs, we also... Uh, help them out with, uh, with some shoe boxes for their village. So you might be asking, Justin, why are you building a training center? Or why do you um, resource national missionaries, national uh, believers? Well, it's because our focus, our, our missions emphasis, our strategy is to make disciples. We want to make disciples. That's what we're called to do as believers in Jesus. Um, and so we want to make disciples disciples and the one way we can do that is to uh, train train the nationals training center and the other way is to resource them give them material so they can go and make disciples okay the reason we we believe that is because we believe the the national is the best missionary that's our missional philosophy the national is the best missionary why are they the best missionary because they already speak the language or languages I'll show you a picture of our sister Olga here in a minute, our, our, um, the wife of our national partner, she speaks 13 languages. I barely speak one language, right? I speak English and a little bit of French, <laughs> but she speaks 13. And so she can minister to people that I, as a missionary, can't minister to because of, because of her, her gift set, because of her ability to speak languages. And, um, but so if we resource them, if we help them with resources and material and all those things that they need to do the work, they can do it better than I can. They also understand the culture. Um, there are many nuance, nuances in the culture that I still don't understand. I've lived there for three and a half years. But they understand all those nuances and they know how to speak the gospel into those nuances where the gospel makes sense and is understandable. Where I don't have the ability to do that. I could live there my entire life and not have the ability to do that. Many, many of our brothers and sisters have family members or friends who have moved to the States uh, and they message them back and say, man, the culture here is so weird. Like they do this on these days or these, you know, these things. Well, they, we feel, I feel the same way when I'm there. This culture is so weird. Why do you do this? This makes no sense. Why do you spend all of your life savings on a wedding? I don't understand that. <laughs> but that's what they do. That's the culture. And so these national believers, these national missionaries, they understand the language and the culture, and they can speak the gospel into that in a way that it's 
understandable. They also have connections with other believers that we can train, that we can go and train if they want us to. So that's our missional philosophy. The strategy or the tool, the resource that we use to fulfill that is called Tree of Life. And maybe there's some confusion about Tree of Life and you've heard of training to send and I don't understand the connection between those or what are the differences. So I'm going to explain that just so you'll have a, a, a little better understanding. Tree of Life was started by... Um, uh, a, a missionary, a Southern Baptist missionary in Bangladesh in 1995. He then moved to India where Joe Fleming, uh, who's a member here, um, learned that strategy uh, in 2013, 2012, 2013. And then he came to Senegal where we serve in 2016. And so that's the strategy that we use in Senegal. It's called Tree of Life. When Joe came back here um, to the States in 2019, he started a nonprofit ministry called Training to Send. We wanted to call it Tree of Life, but there were some other ministries in the States that already had that name, and we didn't want to create any confusion. So in not wanting to create any confusion, we created some confusion. <laughs> so Training to Send, the function of Training to Send is twofold. On one arm, it, uh, it acts as a resource mechanism, a, a funding mechanism, to, uh, for American churches here in the States to give to Training to Send that can then filter that down to uh, faithful national partners in West Africa. Okay? The other side of that is to train American believers how to make disciples here. So that's Training to Send's function. Tree of Life is the training that Training to Send uses, but it's just not called that here. Okay? We call Tree of Life is what we use in West Africa. And the, the goal is to make disciples who make disciples who make disciples. Uh, disciples, because that's what disciples do. It's built on the premise of 2 Timothy 2.2, 2, and what you've heard from me in the presence of many witnesses entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. So Jesus trusted Paul with the information, the, the teaching that he gave him. Tim, uh, Paul trusted Timothy. Timothy trusted faithful men, and faithful men trusted others. And we are believers in Jesus because that process was carried out, right? Amen? So here is what that looks like um, for us. This is a training. Uh, you go to get to this training, you go to the middle of nowhere, and you keep driving for a half an hour, and then you arrive at this training. So I say that in jest, but it's out in, <laughs> literally in the middle of nowhere. Um, so these, these, are these are nationals that are leading this training. Fiak and I were just there as a, um, just to encourage them and coach them. And, uh, and Fiak is sitting there in the... Um, the bright blue um, and so the guy's training in his native tongue which is Sarir the guy in turquoise or teal is translating or um, he's training in Sarir the guy in teal is translating from Sarir to Wolof for Fiak and then Fiak was translating from from Wolof to French uh, for me to understand so it's quite a complex process but it works and they're being so faithful um, with the gospel and so this is nationals, nationals leading nationals, which is the best, best um, uh, way to do it. So these are our national partners. Um, from left to right uh, is Olga. That's the, the lady that speaks 13 languages. Her husband there to her, um, to your left, to your right, to your left, whatever, whatever it is. <laughs> to, uh, to your right is Ufi. Uh, he is our national partner. They live just below us. They live where Joe and Melissa used to live. Uh, and so we spend a lot of time together. Our kids spend a lot of time with their, their youngest son. Um, the couple in the middle is Fiak and Carly. 
Uh, FIAC's my national, uh, my national partner, the, the one I spend all of my time with. He travels with me everywhere we go. Uh, just a faithful brother. So many of you heard about him. He's the, he's the, the brother that you guys bought the, the motorcycle for. Uh, and he appreciates that so much. So um, thank you for that. Just faithful, faithful people. So where is Tree of Life working? These are the countries that, that we are currently uh, training in, in West Africa. Um, there's also, it's not on there, but we have uh, master trainers also in Pakistan. And, um, but I was just, for this, uh, for the focus of this, I was just focused on West Africa. So there's a map of what that might look like to you. Um, everything in green is uh, where we have national master trainers. Uh, so those are trainers that are training others. And the, other, the others are training others, etc. In orange, there's three countries in orange, and you can probably only see two. Um, but there's islands off the coast uh, of Senegal where we've started trainings also. Uh, and so those trainings are in progress. They haven't been finished yet, but hopefully by the middle of next year, we will have master trainers in those um, three countries as well. So why do we do this? So we come to our message. If you have your Bible, you can be turned into Acts chapter 2. We're going to look at the attributes of a healthy or biblical church. And I want, uh, I want to draw your attention to the disciple-making aspect of that. Um, I use the term disciple-making because for many of us, we think of discipleship. And um, sometimes uh, we in the church have have um, misconstrued discipleship with you got to go to seminary or that means specifically Sunday school or that means specifically small group uh, and so I want to use the term and I'll probably mess up but bear with me I want to use the term disciple making disciple making so disciples disciple equals or equates to disciple making what do I mean by this or what's another way to to think about that well, disciple does, or church membership does not equate or equal disciple. In the church, we have many church members, but we have very, very few disciples. We see the same thing in West Africa, where we have people who come on Sunday mornings. They come on Wednesday nights. They're very faithful in coming, but it stays at the church when they leave. It doesn't go with them into the community. It doesn't go with them into the grocery store, or for our case, the market. Right? It doesn't go with them where they go. And so they might be a church member, but they're not a disciple. They're not being a disciple. They're not acting as a disciple. They're saved. It's not a salvation issue. Right? It's a discipleship issue. Am I following Jesus in the way that Jesus wants me to follow him? So many times, me, I'm pointing at me, I want to come to Jesus on my terms, not on his terms. But he requires me to come on his terms. Amen? And so we have to come to Jesus on his terms. We have to follow Jesus on his terms, not on our terms. And that's difficult. So let's look at some, um, some uh, definitions. What does it mean to be, a Jesus, uh, to be a disciple? I was about to say a Jesus follower. Well, that's exactly what it means <laughs> to be a disciple. Uh, we would define disciple as someone who is following Jesus, being changed by Jesus, and is committed to the mission of Jesus. You can look at uh, Matthew chapter 4, verse 19, where Jesus said, Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. And what did they do? 
What did the disciples do? They, may, they messed up a lot, right? But what did they do in that moment? They immediate, it says, the Bible says they immediately left their nets and followed Jesus. Immediately. It uses that terminology. Another um, definition is disciple making. When I say disciple making, what do I mean? Well, we just add a little phrase to the beginning of what it means to be a disciple. To, to, to be involved in disciple making, it means entering into relationships with intentionality, helping people follow Jesus, be changed by Jesus, and join the mission of Jesus. So to be a disciple is to follow Jesus. To be involved in disciple making is to be involved in somebody's life to the point where they begin to follow Jesus and look like Jesus and be changed by Jesus and join the mission of Jesus. That's what Jesus commanded us to do in the Great Commission. Remember, it's the Great Commission, not the Great Option. We don't have an option. If we're going to follow Jesus, we're going to do what Jesus said to do. We're going we're gonna, to, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. If you love me, you'll keep my commandments. What did Jesus command us to do in the Great Commission? Go make disciples. Go make disciples. Baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And teach them to observe all I've commanded. Teaching obedience is training. Teaching obedience is training. So what can you take home with you today? We cannot truly claim the title of Christian without at the same time truly being a disciple. To be a Christian is to be a disciple. They're, they're forever connected to one another. So many times we like to say, I'm a Christian, I'm a Christian. You probably know people who have claimed to be Christian, but their lifestyle doesn't equate to being a Christian. When we, were, when we first started going to, um, to Senegal, the missionaries there said, hey, we had a meeting before we went out and did anything. They said, hey, um, don't use the title of Christian for yourself in Senegal. And I thought, wow, I'd never been on a foreign mission trip. I was like, that's a strange, that's a strange thing. And so we asked why. And they said, well, here, there's a, there's a large Roman Catholic influence. And so when you say you're a Christian, they equate you to being Roman Catholic, being French Roman Catholic. The French Roman Catholics have not been very nice to our Senegalese brothers and sisters. Okay, and so it's important for us to not use that terminology so they don't connect the dots. And say, okay, what do we call ourselves? They said, call yourself follower of Jesus. Or in Wolof, Talibé Yesu, follower of Jesus. So when you, just, when you translate follower of Jesus to French, when you use the word follower, it literally translates to disciple. Disciple de Jésus. Disciple of Jesus. So the word follower in English is the word for disciple in French. Which I find very interesting. And so we're to be disciples of Jesus. We're supposed to follow Jesus. We're supposed to do what Jesus commanded us to do. So to be a disciple is to, or to be a Christian is to be a disciple. So let's look at Acts chapter 2. Let's look at Acts chapter 2. And I, wanna, I want us to, as we read through this passage, let's look for the, see if we can mark the six attributes of a, of a healthy or, or a, a biblical or church. If you have your word open and you'd like, I would encourage you to stand as we read the word, if you're able. So Acts, or Acts chapter 2, verse 42 says, and I'm reading from the ESV, just so you know, and they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, 
and to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And all came upon them, came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common, verse 45. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together, breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with gladness and gener- generous hearts, verse 47, praising God and, have, and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to the number day by day those who were being saved. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your faithfulness, God, to your word, to us, your children. Thank you that you uh, are faithful to seek and to save those that were lost like me. Father, you're so good. I pray that you would uh, open my mouth. God, to speak the things you'd have me to speak this morning. Uh, give all of us here a heart to hear, eyes to see. Um, God, the, the, the knowledge to receive what you have us, uh, for us this morning. That we would not just receive it, but that we would fulfill what you've called us to fulfill in this life. That you would help us to put into practice those things that your word teach us. To the point where the gospel goes around the globe. We'll give you praise for all that you have done, are doing, are going to do in our midst. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So, yeah, thank you. You can be seated. (laughs) So in this passage, we see uh, six main things that the church should uh, do. Six attributes that we should be about. And so I'm going to read the passage again and, and... we're going we're gonna to draw those things out together. Uh, so the verse 42 says, And they devoted themselves to... What did they devote themselves to? The apostles' teaching. When you devote yourself to the teaching of somebody, what is that? What are you doing? You're being... You're learning. You know another word for learning? Discipling. You're being discipled. Right? The word in the Greek, disciple, matineo, I think it is, means to learn, to follow, to be a student of. And so there were students, there were disciples of John, um, John the Baptist, there were disciples of the Pharisees, and obviously uh, we, we know that the, the disciples of Jesus. I find it interesting that the first one that Luke lists here is disciple, discipleship, disciple making. He goes on and he says, and the fellowship the fellowship. We should be involved in fellowship. So disciple making is the first one. The second one we see in, the, in verse 42 is fellowship. And he goes on and says, to the breaking of bread. Where's a good Baptist in here? Does that mean eating? Is eating an attribute of the church? <laughs> no, we would obviously classify that under fellowship. When we gather together and break bread together, we're, we're fellowshipping with one another. Okay, and he goes on and uh, he says, enter prayers. We should pray. The church should be about prayer. So in verse 42, we see discipleship, we see fellowship, and we see prayer. In verse 43, he says, and all came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. Many signs and wonders were being done. This is ministry, what we would equate to ministry. People were being ministered to by the apostles. All right? 
In verse 44, he says, And all uh, who believed were together and had things in common. Again, they were together. They were fellowshipping in common. And they were selling their possessions, belongings, and distributing to all who had needs. Again, ministry. People were selling what they had, and they were giving to those who had need. They were ministering to people through uh, financial uh, or material gifts. Verse 46, And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes again. Again, more fellowship. They received their food with gladness and generous hearts. Verse 47, Praising God, worship. My brother will appreciate this, obviously, worship. The church should be about worship, as we were this morning. Not only corporate worship, but individual worship. Right? We should spend time during the week with the Lord in worship. And the last one is, And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. We would equate that with evangelism. Right? For people to be saved, they have to hear about Jesus. For people to hear about Jesus, they have to... Somebody has to go and speak to them about Jesus. We would call that evangelism. So I find it in- interesting that Luke, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit in writing this, he bookends the attributes with discipleship and evangelism. Two things I love the most. <laughs> Not the most, but two things I love. Discipleship and evangelism. All right? I don't think that's by happenstance. I don't think that's by coincidence. I think when God speaks, he speaks with intentionality. So what I want to help us to understand this morning, which many of us in the American church have forgotten, which is discipleship. And we think of discipleship, we think of, again, Sunday school or sending somebody to liberty or whatever that might look like. But discipleship for the early church and for what's happening in West Africa looks a lot different than we think it might look in the American church, as Pastor Stewart said this morning. What we're seeing in West Africa is a... New Testament act of God, in my opinion. And I'm thankful to be just a small part of that. So maybe you came this morning not thinking discipleship was very important, disciple making was important, or it was way down on the list of the things that we should do in the church. I hope to change your mind on that this morning. So let's think about this from a, a, just a practical standpoint. If the church at large stopped making disciples, Jesus is not going to let this happen, but let's just think about it logically or practically. If we stopped making disciples, what would happen? What would happen? There would be no more Christians. And if there's no more Christians, there's no more what? There's no more fellowship. There's no more prayer. There's no more ministry because there's no money to, to do the ministering. There's no more worship because there's no believers. And nobody's doing evangelism because there's no Christians to go tell people about Jesus. If we stop doing discipleship, if we stop being disciple makers, all of the other ones go away. Right? All of the other ones go away. So I'm not trying to minimize the other five. But what I want us to do in the American church is elevate disciple-making. Because it's something we've left by the wayside. It's only for the pastor to do. It's only for the deacons to do. In the Great Commission, it doesn't... The prefix is not, Pastor, go make disciples. Go into all the world and make disciples. Deacon, go into all the world and make disciples. 
Jesus was talking to his disciples, and if you're his disciple, that passage, that command is for you. I know that's a hard thing to, to hear. Believe me. It stings me too. <laughs> right? But it's something we have to understand. So if we, if we stop making disciples, the church will cease to exist. There will be no fellowship. There will be no prayer. There will be no ministry. There will be no worship. There will be no evangelism. So we think of it kind of like this. Those are errors. That might be hard to understand. So practically, I want to give you a practical understanding of how we think about it in West Africa. We start with discipleship. There are believers where we live, and so we start discipling them. And through that, through that discipleship process, through that disciple-making process, we fellowship with them. They are moves from discipleship to fellowship. We spend time with them. We understand their needs, their concerns, their heart. We get to know their families. We fellowship with them. It's a real bond, a connection. When we fellowship with them, that leads us to pray for them. We have a relationship with them that's real and personal and spiritual, on a spiritual level. And so we pray for them. And when we fellowship and pray for them, we also learn of ministry needs that we can go and help them with. So we can begin to minister to them. You see how the process works, the cycle works. Right? When we minister to them, we're overjoyed by that. We rejoice in the fact that we have that God's given us the ability to go and, and do that, to go and minister to people. And so we worship God because of that. And then as we worship, we realize there are millions and millions of people in this world who don't have the opportunity, because they don't know Jesus, to worship. John Piper in a, a, a book called uh, the, Supremacy, the Supremacy of God in Missions said, missions exist, or what I would term as evangelism exists, because worship doesn't. There are millions of people around the globe who don't worship God, and because of that, we do evangelism or missions. Right? And when we do evangelism, when we realize that people aren't worshiping God, and so we need to go tell them about Jesus... What happens when we tell people about, about Jesus? Some of them come, come to faith. Some of them get saved. Some of them come to Jesus. Some of them cry out to Jesus. And so what do we do after they come to Christ? We disciple them. And what happens? The process starts over again, right? But it starts with discipling our people. It starts with us discipling those of you who, who come and worship here at Calvary or the church at large. And so we must be intentional about worship or about discipleship, about disciple making. We have to look into uh, the church and find those who need to be discipled and then begin to disciple them. In West Africa, it's our desire to create in every church a disciple making culture. A disciple making culture. Many of our churches here in America have an attractive church culture. Attractive. Maybe you've heard these terms before. But we have an attractive church culture. Many of the churches here have an attractive church culture. So we hope we're pretty enough and we draw people in. And I'm not saying we shouldn't be attractive. Don't get me wrong. We should be attractive. Don't have me on the cover, but we should be attractive. <laughs> we should be attractive. But if it just ends at, at attractivity, if that's a word, 
I don't know if it's a word, but if it is, I just, if not, I made it up. We shouldn't stop there, right? If that's the end game, we've got a problem. And this is why the church in America ebbs and flows all the time. Because there's nothing holding them here. What's the, um, what's the field of dreams said? Build it and they will come. I don't care if they come. I want to know if they stay. Amen? I want them to come, but I want them to stay. Come and stay. And so this is what we're trying to create in the church in West Africa. Believe me, the church in West Africa is not at all attractive. It's not at all attractive. Pastor Stewart can tell you. The Sunday he was there, he was going to preach, and I got a call from Ufi saying it started raining. It was raining buckets, man. It was raining buckets. And Ufi said, hey, we're going to have to push back church. And just a couple years ago, we'd had to cancel church because our church didn't have a roof. That's the church in West Africa. There are churches that met this morning under a tree. I'm not joking. That's a very serious. That's, that's how they do church. So I want to encourage you this morning to invest in the life of the church in a way that the church is transformed from an attractive church to a disciple-making, or term it whatever you want, disciple-making church. That's what we call it in West Africa. Where every church member of a church that we plant in West Africa understands the, the mission of the church. They clearly understand that their role in that church is to make disciples. However that plays out for them in their spiritual giftedness, etc. That they are to be involved in some way, shape, or form in disciple-making. We need a culture in the church in America where a 55-year-old steel worker can, can disciple a 35-year CEO, CEO and nobody thinks that's strange or weird. Amen? I think sometimes we've lost our way when it comes to disciple-making, me included. So what can you do? What can you do? Oh, by the way, I went to the CBC website and I, I pulled this off. Just so you don't think I'm coming up with anything new. This is directly off the CBC, off of your website, the church's website. And they're all there. Worship, ministry, missions, uh, fellowship, discipleship, and prayer. Right? That's the vision of Calvary Baptist Church. So what can you do? What can I do? I encourage you to begin to disciple somebody. There is somebody sitting in the sound of my voice that needs you or wants you or desires you to disciple them. Remember, disciple making is entering into relationships, intentional relationships with a believer in Jesus so that they begin to look like Jesus be changed by Jesus and join the mission of Jesus. That's what disciple making is. We have a tool or a resource called Tree of Life that we use in West Africa or training to send here in the States. It's a simple, it's a very simple program process. Some of you have been through it. And so I encourage you to find something to disciple somebody with. Sit down with your, an open word and just say, hey, let's, let's walk through this thing. 
Discipleship doesn't have to look pretty or fancy or uh, glorious. It's not going to be, believe me, because once you get into a relationship with somebody, you're going to find out that those people got problems, just like you got, just like I've got, right? We all got problems, but we all need a Paul. We all need a Paul. We all need a Timothy. We all need a Barnabas. Paul poured into Timothy. Timothy received from Paul, and Barnabas came alongside to encourage. We all need that in our lives. So I encourage you to be involved somehow, some way, some shape, some form. We have master trainers in the bush in Africa who are training believers in France using WhatsApp. There's no excuses, people. There are no excuses. I say that with all the love that I have in my heart. There, there are no excuses. So I encourage you to be involved. I encourage you to, to take the class uh, training to send that we've that, that that has been offered here at, at Calvary, or find another tool. There are many many resources, many many tools to use to disciple people.